This podcast contains potentially adult language, adult themes, definitely drinking, and possibly sexual context. Listener discretion is advised. Look who's talking. I'm on the um, <laughs> a Hobgoblin Ruby beer, which is a very Ooh. tasty, um, uh, well, I guess you would call it an ale. And it, well, it's super fancy. super fancy. Yeah, Blue Moon is not an ale. It's no. a beer. It's a, it's it's a fucking beer. Okay. It's, it's one of these very hoppy things you Americans have where they, you can smell the hops from six feet away and the hops will leap up your nose and interrogate your... Uh, <laughs> your senses it is very true and we have so many microbreweries now oh. that have so many hops that it's although i did find one not that i have it bottled but i found one that had a habanero beer which basically yeah yeah it was it was a dark beer it had habanero in it so it was basically like a very creamy fire in my face because <laughs> I was like, this seems great. I like spicy things. And then I was like, this is a it's terrible nice. plan. I'm going to finish it. It's good. It's good. I, I kid I kid you not. I have hay fever and there are some um, IPAs which honestly get me sneezing. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> okay. I'm going to remember that for Dragon Con. We're going to go to a microbrewery. <laughs> We're going to be like, let's see if we can get Paul sneezing. No, no, what. I don't want the hops. I'm... <laughs> <laughs> no hops. Okay. Too many hops in the world now. Yes. At rapid fire questions, mm. what is your favorite book of all time? Um, I would say. I just love how how difficult that question is compared to the one that follows it. It's okay. We're giving him a T moment. Today, I'm going to go for Light by M. John Harrison. Why? Because it's a stunning science fiction novel that also encompasses um, a real-world literary novel at the same time. We're going to check that out. Yeah. Okay, next one. What's what your least favourite book? Oh, of all time, <laughs> no you know, I, 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 it, it'll be something I haven't finished. Um, Which is fine. That's the next, next question. question. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, oh, you know, I, I tend not to remember the negatives. Um, there's nothing. There's nothing I would hold close to my heart because I hated it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they get these things get forgotten and left along the way. Um, We've heard some interesting answers to this, including uh, Jane Austen, anything by Jane Austen. Uh, I think Mark wow. that peeve is alabaster skin. He goes, what a horrible- Any book where somebody describes the skin as alabaster, it loses its shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, mate, no, I... In a book. Oh, 
I tell you what, um, as somebody with an, an eight-year-old son, um, children's books that are written by somebody um, who's just gone, oh, I tell you what, I'll write a children's book. How hard could it be? Um, there's, I, I know a few of those. <laughs> oh, no, absolutely. So you don't finish books, that's become apparent, if you don't like them. How far in do you go? Like, I don't go very far in. I am mm. like, you don't grab me in the first couple of pages, Chuck, I'm done. Well, maybe a couple of chapters, but yeah. I, I mean, I, I kind of think it... There's one great exception to this. Umberto, I was told Umberto Eco um, at the start of Foucault's Pendulum um, actually writes the first three or four chapters in a very dense, very tough style um, before hopping into a very light thriller mode for the rest of the book. And it's because, and I, I you know, I, I, I do not feel positive about this. I think this is kind of an awful <laughs> thing to do because, because he actually wanted people to have to work at it before he gave them any fun. And they're like, no, no, oh, no. <laughs> no, Umberto. That is not, no, that is not good writing advice. Nobody take mm. that writing advice. That is a mm. terrible idea. So what do you, you mentioned that you um, listen to on your, your 10,000 steps every day. Very proud of you for that. Um, listen to, you know, current sci-fi books. Is that what you mainly read? What do you like to read? Yeah, I, I try and read current science fiction and fantasy in order to stay in conversation with my genre. And um, the last few um, books have been, I'm currently reading another tremendous book by M. John Harrison, um, The Sunken Land Begins to Rise Again. Oh, which is, um, it's a, um, a tough depiction of current Britain, um, the, the malaises of, of our nation. Um, and it's actually chilling me to the bone. It's a, a kind of, um, Lovecraftian horrors around the edge, but actually our two protagonists um, are completely ignoring the Lovecraftian novel, uh, horrors around the edge because they can't be bothered. Um, um, before that, I, 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 it was Peronisi by Susanna Clarke, um, who wrote Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. Um, yeah. That's a great, um, quite short, highly literary book which nevertheless, by the end of it, is uplifting and hopeful. And um, our, our hero basically starts in the middle of not knowing who he is, um, not knowing where he is. And we uncover along with him the truth of his situation. And um, by the end of it, we really adore him. And uh, we get a lovely warm feeling about him. And um, and, and it ends on a very bright note. I've also read this year um, Adrian Tchaikovsky's The Doors of Eden, um, Arkady Martin's um, a, a Dream of Empire, which won the Hugo, deservedly, and, um, uh, oh, the, the, the Gideon book, um, Gideon the Ninth. Um, so, yeah, um, it's been a, a very good year, I have to say. I've enjoyed myself thoroughly. That's fantastic. Do you read a lot of books that people so you you have a lot of author friends and this is something that's interesting when you're an author and then you get author friends you have a lot of people giving you their books to read and asking you to read them 
Um, I, I think, honestly, if, if an author's an author or an author's a friend, they're not going to give you their book to read. <laughs> I, mean, so. I think you're lucky in that, because I think especially yeah. with young authors, they get yeah. super excited and they're like, hey, do you want to read the book? And it's it, when you get to a point where you realize the answer should not always be yes to that question. I, I always say, absolutely not, under no circumstances. <laughs> <laughs> um, just to their face, immediately. So you talked a little bit about um, the criticism, you know, taking criticism. Do you read your reviews? No, I don't. I Well, um, I don't read my um, reviews on Goodreads or on social media or anything like that. If there's something in Locus or, um, um, you know, Publishers Weekly or something like that, I'll, re I'll read it if I've been told it's basically okay. I always think that um, that reviews actually are none of my business. Um, that they are they are between the reviewer and the and the reader, and um, sometimes I mean if it's a particularly trusted reviewer, you know it's like it's like notes after the fact. You know I I, I might be interested in finding some negatives that I didn't know, but. Largely speaking, I think the, the craft of the reviewer um, is something that shouldn't be interrupted by an author. Um, I, I think um, it's, it's like eavesdropping. No good can come of it. Yeah. But do you review books when you read them? No. I mean, well, actually, only if it's positive. Um, I, I will plonk a little review on Twitter. Um, I do not say negative things about any other creator. On, online um so i absolutely will put will post a rave review yeah what i what i won't do is mention any negatives um because i don't think it's fair i i think as soon as i do that i'm crossing the line between poacher and gamekeeper and um you, you know I, I many years ago i even hesitated before saying i didn't like avatar very much um i i thought I, I'm not sure James Cameron is going to care what I think. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! I mean, but I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't hesitate to talk politics online, but I, I won't, I won't critique another creator. Well, with me, and and similar in your situation, because I never finish a book I dislike, I don't really have a negative review mm. because they never finished the book and I'm not going to sit there and leave a review in a book I didn't finish it kind of mm. seems weird to me but but often I'll, I'll basically like something and I'll have some negatives yeah mm. absolutely so when you are you plotter answer plot, pants what do you how do you write definitely plot um I'm um I agonize over the plot for a long time beforehand. And then when I think I've sorted that, I'll do the fun bit of the actual writing. The exception being short stories, um, where, oh, where I will write about four times the word count that ends up in the actual short story and actually go down all those wrong pathways, discover why they're wrong, chuck them, and it takes me ages to write a short story. I hate it when people commission me for short stories. You know, I'm not going to mention any names, but other people have had problems with that. <laughs> um, 
I've, I've met a lot of people novelists that can't write short stories they're too like they think too big like I had somebody who was supposed to write a short story and it was supposed to be 5,000 words and she presented me with 25,000 words and I'm like what in the That's a novella. fuck is this like yeah what? And yeah. I'm like, you're not going to like, it's going to be 5,000 words. Mm. You're super not going to like what this editor's about to do to this. Are you sure you don't want to do it yourself? Yeah. I I, um, I think it's possibly the hardest form. It's um, it's very tough to do. Um, I, I'm, I actually have a book of my short stories out, um, oh. which I'm, I'm immensely proud of, um, from right. Newcom Press. It, it's called um, One of Our Bastards is Missing after one of the stories is in it. Um <laughs> Yeah, uh, it's just a, a variety of stories I've done down, down the years. I've done I've done several short stories for Wildcards, which feels a bit different. That feels like there's a support system there to help you through it. Um, and indeed, one of my Wildcards stories, I think, is one of my best, a story called More. But um, uh, no, I mean, I and I've just done a story for Uncanny Magazine because um, they do this wild strategy of every year they'll do a Kickstarter for their next year of subscriptions. And they'll announce the authors that are gonna be in their, their magazine for the next year before those authors have written a word. Wow. Um, so uh, they, are, they have been kind enough to put me on that page and say, Paul will be writing a story for us this year. So I'm gonna, I've just got to. <laughs> and, um, Your name is there, it's gonna happen. On. Deadline, mm -hmm. adrenaline. You write series. Do you ever, you, you were talking about a five book series, the fifth book, which is named? Um, Last Stand in Litchford. If that's coming out, how do you, you know, writing a series, we, we talked about this a lot is, did you just go, this is a five book series or were you paid for a five book or how did that mm -hmm. evolve? Um, basically, Tor.com publisher science fiction or fantasy novella every month. And my first one, um, which is of Litchford, was in, in their first month. It was one of their three launch titles. And um, it was a self-contained story, but it contained the potential to revisit that situation with a new mystery. And so I pitched another one and I kept pitching them until I finally thought, well, we've actually reached a satisfying shape here after five books. If I end it here, we've got a lovely arc and my editor Lee Harris agreed with me and so yeah and what um, if come back and go I want book six well actually we've just talked this week about <laughs> what we're doing next um which is a, a different a different thing and we don't know quite what yet but either it'll be a one-off or the start of a new series but um equally in the same um for the same range i've just done another novella um for a different different editor which will be out in that in that spot next year which is a one-off one hard sf novella so um yeah um writing a series is is interesting you just sort of got to set it up from from the start with the idea that it might be able to continue do you do that? Like you just talked about a standalone. Do you intentionally do that with your works? Or like if somebody came back to you and goes, I want book two of the standalone, are you going to be like, no? Yeah, I'm, I've done that. Um, it's kind of like I, I know when I know when it would spoil it if there were more. 
Do you think you could stop yourself if they threw money at you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I've, I've done that quite a lot. Um, it, it's, uh, it's never life-changing money, so it's never been that hard a decision. But, no, I mean, it, it makes sense. Yeah. We talk about that, that as yeah. authors, like, when do certain... you hold your ground, essentially? Mm. Because after a, a point, your, your career sort of manifests in a way that now you're the, being approached instead of you seeking out and you have to decide, you know, you have to know when, where those boundaries and, and establish boundaries for the first time when those those offers well, start coming in. My, 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 my central aim um, is to leave behind a body of work I'm proud of. And uh, there are times when more is fine. Um, and indeed, there have been times when I haven't got to finish things. Um, my Shadow Police series of urban, urban fantasy novels reached three books, and I get I get messages on my blog all the time from people who would like there to be a book for, but it wasn't selling enough. It got dropped by the publisher. And one thing is always true that there isn't a pub publisher in the world who wants to um, uh, bring out book four of a series. And um, but you could self-publish it. Yeah, we see a lot yeah, of I know, I know. It's there's a lot involved in that. <laughs> there, there really is. Um, my 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 strategy at the moment is to get attempt to get so famous that um, a publisher would want to publish book four in the series. No, it, I, it's true. That's I a think. True goal. Yes, there we go. We would like book four of this produced. He's a big deal. Can we, can we tie these two together? <laughs> or, um, it, or a TV option oh. would be a good way to. Have you thought about doing that yourself, though? Because the way TV, the way we are now, big budget movies are not the same thing they were. They're, they're mm. you know. Well, my 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 standing in television is such that right now the way to get book four of Shadow Police would be to get a much bigger showrunner to op option it and make something of it. With me, it would be an equal fight to get the show on air as it would be to get book four. Right. Um, so right now, I'm not in a position to do that. Um, and indeed it could, and my, my aim of getting book four would be much better achieved with a more famous person. But um, certainly I, I'm in a place where I'd like to show run my own stuff, where I'd like to write stuff based on my own work and indeed we're, we're starting to make that happen it's um yeah i'm i'm in talks with several different people about several different things which is a nice place to be no that's a brilliant place that's great okay from a writing standpoint do you have any terrible habits like um from a writing standpoint um yes. i yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um Erica likes to make her no, characters, characters realize things. I don't make them do that. Oh. Everybody realizes everything in my oh. story. They realize um, a lot of stuff. But my characters look between each other. He looked at her. She looked at him. They look between each other. It's like it's like a bloody tennis match sometimes. <laughs> it's it's interesting. I think you know. I, I had to realize. I you know. Valerie brought up a point one time. As I think as authors. We, we continually evolve our bad habits, like, because it gets pointed out. So as you're typing, he looks, you stop and go, yeah. that's not what's going to happen because you're aware of it. But then the next book, the editor's like, 
So is the person's name Luke or John? Because or you, you changed the name a couple times. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, John Rogers said to me on, on my podcast once um, that uh, your mistakes are your style. And I think he's got something there that, um, especially if you can process them and learn from them, um, these mistakes you make actually say something about you. And I, I suspect in my case, the looking between thing is because I'm thinking visually. Um, and I'm actually seeing actors react as I'm writing the prose. And actually, I shouldn't be. Right. You know, I, 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 I should be rather slightly more internal than that. Um, Whereas, what did you say your, your tick was? My, mine was, for a long time, it was, I used the word realized way mm. too much. Way too much were people realizing. And what's funny is I write, I write two different genres, but I write very uh, suspenseful horror things. And people, so people are, are realizing real stuff a lot. I mean, yeah. Well, it's a, it's a feature of the genre that people are realizing stuff about. They do later, just not as frequently as the word, you know, I would say instead of like she walked in the room and saw that there was a shadow still on the ceiling, is she walked in the room and realized there was a shadow on the ceiling. <laughs> the cold air made her realize, like that. I kept using yeah. it as like a crutch word throughout mm. the thing until my editor sent back to me and goes, okay, so you've realized, people in your book have realized things 400 times, so you're going to need to finish <laughs> I'm like, cool, awesome, awesome. I think, I think, I think, I think being might. aware of your tick is actually a really good thing. Yeah. Well, working with editors too, you've worked with a lot of editors. They say mm. stuff like, don't, when, when they'll do find, um, find the word that and see how many times you put it in the middle of a sentence. Oh, yeah. And yeah. so now when I go to type it, I, at least this is how my brain works is I'm like, delete, 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 because my editor is going to go find and find that I put a that in the middle of the sentence and be like, you don't need to be using that. I've just, I've just been working for a really prestigious editor and um, they uh, were very supportive and lovely, but also when it came to the actual notes, pulled no punches, including um, your intention for the ending does not work. Rethink this. Which... <laughs> Oh, no. Yeah, um, but, but I did and really benefited from that. You know, um, this is the punch on the nose, you know? Yeah. No, and I think that people don't realize that editors, you one, you have to find the right editor. Not every editor is perfect for editing your work. Yeah, they and especially genres. You have to make sure you never, I, I had a, some, a friend send her space opera to an editor who normally does uh, regular romance and literature and I'm like no they're like you yeah. need more backstory and they're like no you don't need to be explaining that because your sci-fi audience understands those concepts they don't well, there, there's a there's a real the, the immense difference between um science fiction and mainstream fiction is the sheer amount of explaining of the world that we're just in, in the everyday in a science fiction novel I mean, I, I once wrote a, a short story which was actually not very good because in the end the, um, the story was not worth the experiment, but writing um, current, current mainstream fiction as if it was science fiction. He got into the car, um, he put a key in the car 
and turned it, igniting a small igniting a small spark, which made the gasoline explode, pushing down a cylinder. Which, you know, in science fiction, we have to provide cues for exactly that level of detail sometimes, and. It's not that anything that anyone who actually lived in this situation would ever think about. So it's um, it's sheer, it's sheer genre. It, it this is what people who um, only read mainstream fiction find so hard about science fiction that characters um, who inhabit the spaces of science fiction spend all their time thinking about their everyday lives in fucking detail for some reason. Um, But that's the the whole point of fans is is like it's I think every different genre has their little quirks. Yeah. You write horror and you have to to find a line. It's interesting because there's a lot of horror writers that will just gross you out. I hate that. I hate movies, anything where it's just gross and it's Mm. not suspenseful and it's not scary because I think the the fear factor versus the disgust factor is way like way more impressive but you Mm. don't have that same level of withholding in say sci-fi that you do in a horror where you're like i'm just gonna barely drop this thing and you as the audience see it but that character doesn't see what's happening like you you almost open the world to the reader Mm. in horror that the character going through the story doesn't get to see and it's very different than like a lot of genres where romance you're not yeah. withholding it's it's right in front of them they just refuse to believe it yeah you know i, but I think i think romance is the, is, is the hardest of all i mean that's um dealing with something that every single person knows um the emotion the emotion the human emotion and shaping that into story shapes which are of genre but not generic and in an attempt to surprise so beyond me I, I i i mean i've had romance in my books but to make it the central focus is a skill which is utterly beyond me um, i was going to say horror wise one of my favorite authors is nigel neal um the writer of quatermass and um he will do a thing where um he will put early on some comedy version of or very small scare, scare, something that just puts the idea in your head and makes you think this is going to be an easy ride. Um, like in uh, The Stone Tape, uh, one of his most famous sto- um, tally plays, um, he brings on early a, um, a, 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 a comedy figure. Um, somebody's got an advertising figure or something that's the Martian and he's blundering about and uh, there's, oh, it's an alien, you know. And um, in, um, I, I was recently viewing a, a recently released, um, hasn't been seen since the 1980s, uh, his version of The Woman in Black. And um, I, I said to my wife, you know, they've, they've actually shown the titular Woman in Black in medium shot, standing there right in front of our hero. We can see it's an actor with a kind of sour expression on her face. You know, she's not scary. She's profoundly unscary. She's just standing there. She's a ghost. Okay, she's a ghost. And my wife said, 
this is what you always say about Nigel Neal, isn't it? Like, that, no, it can't possibly be scared. I'm like, no, 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 they've just misfilmed this one. It's late in his career. And then she came in to see me an hour later, and I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, I think it's true. It's, and writing, it's not just writing. It's not like one giant bucket. You, different people become good at writing particular things. Some are multiple. But writing certain genres, and I don't think people realize how many nuances when you're not a writer that goes into those and the little things that you can break that completely ruin the experience for the reader. Right. We were talking Ooh. about this last night, actually, just on, a, here's a tangent of drinking this. <laughs> I, I asked this question <laughs> of, um, because a friend of ours is writing a very um, high, high fantasy. fantasy thing and she's, it's a, it's a, um, going to be a multi-book it's a series and she was telling me about the bad guy and I said well you know and what's happening because I'm trying to get her to pull it back to the beginning of how the bad guy ties in right and I said well who do you think the bad guys were in Game of Thrones many answers came out of people's mouths <laughs> but I, I'm like I don't think so and I said if you look at it because there was like the white walkers all white this other walkers. stuff blah I said greed or, or the human emotion a little bit. Yeah. Uh, like we got all sorts of variety. Mm. And I said the, t the two bad guys in that were Cersei and, and Daenerys, Daenerys because they undid the kingdoms. So Prior. there was no defense when the White Walkers showed up. I mean, they pretty much through whatever reasoning they had undid the ability for everybody to band together to actually solve this problem right mm. starting with taking out winterfell basically and the first stop on the journey and this is just my opinion hashtag before i get hate mail my opinion but she looked at me and i was like that's the bad guy and if you look at cersei you could go many things with her she wanted to protect her children that was at the core but the ramifications from those actions in doing that mm. is uh, immense and i think that doomed the entire world Layers. I, I, I think I think looking for heroes in those books is very interesting. I mean, it's basically no, well, even Tyrion does things which are terrible. You know who um, the hero is to me is the spider. <laughs> the reason, though, I say that, but and and this came up last night, and they were like, "Wow, he's the only one who made decisions to save the realm." He is literally right. the only right. one that made the decision to go, this is for the best for everybody. Yeah. And, I'm, you know, I'm fascinated to see um, how much of the ending of the TV show is based on George's notes and how close it is. I, 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 I none of it because I want to pretend like season eight did not happen. <laughs> and I was so happy that the guys who wrote season eight who are going to be given the Star Wars series, HBO went, you can't have it. Um, um, hmm, I'm, um, that, hmm. I opened a dangerous, dangerous door. There's a dangerous door, Erica. Dangerous door. There, there's, there's. Well, they, they, they seemed perfectly lovely. And um, they, 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 were, they were charming individuals. <laughs> sure they're great i just you know overall they built this whole entire thing and i felt like 
they hit the gas pedal. And I don't know why. Of course, I don't know any of the behind the scenes, what happened, what they were told, was the money pulled, were the actors out, you know, all this stuff that can affect a series, right? I just, as a huge fan of the books, huge fan of the books, mm. huge fan of the series, sat there going, what the fuck just, I think a lot of people went, what the fuck just happened, right? Through the whole thing. But this is going to be a sore point for many decades to come and probably almost worse than talking about an election is what side <laughs> of the Game of Thrones thing well, are I'm, you on? I'm the person who thought that Lost ended perfectly well. I, I thought that that um, actually, if you'd been following the whole thing and hadn't just tuned in for the last episode, um, they answered a load of questions across the last season. And basically, by the time they got to the last episode, almost all of their knots had been tied. And um, I thought it was a perfectly reasonable ending to that show. I was quite amazed at the online. Um, I think that it, it, that show, I actually agree with you on that show. I think what happened with that particular show was that um, people don't like shows to end. It's like the Sopranos. The, the end of Sopranos was actually really great. Sopranos. I, Sopranos. I don't know why all of a sudden I have an accent. Um, I think a lot of shows were, you know, it's as an author, kind of like an author to the series, you're going to end the series. Are you going to please every single fan wow. when you end that series? I, I, I think that there's, well, for a start, for a TV show, um, the the industry means that the last episode is the least important episode. Literally, everything you, you're there to have, have achieved has been achieved. Um, you're all on the way out the door. Now, artistic-wise, I think an awful lot of people over the years haven't felt like that. They've felt that they have to deliver a good ending. Yeah. Um, but But there's no gravity at all asking you to make a good ending. Um, the um, uh, there is always the temptation to try and find the surprise that nobody in the fandom will have thought of. And that's a terrible temptation. I would much rather end it in the satisfying, obvious way that everybody's thought of. Um, because that's going to please a lot more people. It, it totally is then when you do that and everybody goes, what just happened? <laughs> because the fans have built this up. You fan fiction, you mentioned it yourself on the mm. podcast. The amount of fan fiction, it's kind of like there's a documentary I've talked about. I'm a huge Star Wars fan, was at opening night of Star Wars at the Chinese Man Theater. <laughs> um, I have street cred on this. <laughs> and when they came out, when George Lucas put out, uh, you know, episode one, and um, I. I, like a lot of fans, was like, what is happening here? Like, we got, you know, emotional about this thing. And then there was a documentary called The People versus George Lucas. And it was talking about the fans that had waited 20 years for this sequel to come out, prequel, sequel. And we were all like, what is this? And, the, you know, when I got to the last three movies, which I feel were better than the first three that he added, like, four through six are my favorites like nobody's ever I'm, been a vampire i'm i'm actually um i'm i'm like somebody's grandma when it comes to star wars i i don't know it at all i've seen it all but i i couldn't even uh, accurately name some of the movies <laughs> um, 
my point though is they said in this documentary that he, there's no way that any of us were going to be satisfied i say us because i'm one of those people any of us <laughs> were going to be satisfied because so much time so much canon so much writing so much stuff yeah. involved where if he had put the next movie out a couple years after you know what i mean it would have blended itself like the, you yeah. had a 20 year age gap kind of like doctor who like when i started watching doctor who I haven't watched a lot of it, but I went back and I watched the original show. Oh, I was going to say, so you, so you watched minute one to get your cosplay, and then by minute five, you were done. But uh... yeah, well, I, well, I watched I watched five minutes to get the cosplay, and I pulled it off well. <laughs> There's a lot of judgment in your tongue. But I started to try to watch it with um, some friends, because I love, I actually love British TV. And I went back to the first episode, and I was like, this is some, this is some, original hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy cheesy ass shit happening when when you say first episode do you mean russell's first episode or william hartnell first episode do you mean 1963 or 2005 no 1963 yeah i'm I'm, I'm watching and i'm thinking this like reminds me of all the stuff we watched like the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy stuff the invaders like all the really cheesy and i'm like everybody's so serious and then I went back to see these other episodes and I couldn't get in my mind these two worlds to almost kind of bridge together because I was like, it was so cheap. It's, um, it, well, I mean, it describes the whole history of British television, really. It's, um, that, that show changes so much and so often. Changes part of its DNA. I mean, that's kind of part of the joy of it. And um, basically, if, if somebody describes themselves as a Doctor Who fan, they mean usually that they like a part of it very much yeah or a particular uh, doctor like my my one a lot of my whovian friends uh they like to invite me to the the painting with the twists and drinking so i can paint them a pretty version of whatever whovian uh police box and they they're like they pay my way because <laughs> you're like you're a better painter but they have certain doctors that they like and they'll be mm. like no 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 you should start with a doctor that reflects how you like your storytelling or, or characters mm. and you should start with one you like is what a recommendation i get often with doctor who fans which i think is but you know it means we're not really um one fandom we're a, a federation of fandoms um, that have overlapping areas and that there's something in that show for everybody in different places in different years and um you know, it's what's what 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 remains constant throughout. Perhaps, um, oh, a, a sense of the intellectual being more important than the than the for, than the forceful than the physical. That it's about um, rationality and science winning out. Um, there's a police box always. That's about it. <laughs> no, it's. It's if I hear one word, I'm number ten or number eleven, and I'm assuming David Tennant's one of those two. He, he's the tenth. Okay, <laughs> I warned everybody. I'm not an expert. I'm not even pretending. But those are no. the two that I hear constantly. Number ten, number eleven. Who's your favorite? Number ten, number eleven. We've been to conventions with David Tennant, and it's funny because I like to send my Whovian friends pictures with him 
mm-hmm. when I run into him just because it really drives them crazy because they know <laughs> I'm not bad and I'm like, ah, Doctor Who. Oh, for those of us of a certain age, it's often number four, uh, particularly if, if one is uh, American. Um, but I, I like f- five and seven. Five and seven are yours. Okay. Mm. See, now I'm going to um, go. I'm going to go watch. So, what's your favorite episodes? Tell oh, me two of your favorite. Oh, okay, actually, I'm go watch them. I, I have I have um, a four episode story from the 1970s that. I'm we'll either convince you or it won't. Watch this and in paper. Look, look, pen and paper. Uh, this <laughs> yeah. is um, City of Death with Tom Baker and Lana Ward. It's written by Douglas Adams under a pseudonym. Oh, I'm a huge Douglas Adams fan. Ah, and it is full of his great witticisms and intellect. It's filmed on location in Paris, oh. and it's. Um, uh, Tom Baker and Lana Ward, uh, who plays his companion, actually courting. They got married shortly afterwards. Oh. Well, I'm going to check this out. I'm going to tell you what I think. Not that it matters for anything, <laughs> but I'm going to check it out. The villain is Julian Glover, if that helps. Oh. <laughs> now she's like, missing <laughs> out. Now, what your and friends have let you down now? No, it's just, there's, I will say legitimately, like I watched the mannequin episode. I'm sure it's not called the mannequin episode. No, the puppets. It had all the puppets in the room. I, I'm a horrible name. I know I've watched one of the angels. Was it Fear Her? Um, Was it, was the Olympic torch involved? No. No. Uh, Puppets. They were all in a room. Like their trapped in a room is like a dining room. And it had all these like puppets. At the tables, I'm distracted. That's the, why I shouldn't be put in charge of things. I've no, watched the silence no. episode five minutes of which to understand the silence, and then is it the girl in the fireplace? Is it David Tennant, Rose, and um, yes, uh, yes, there we are, clockwork yeah. people. Yes, you didn't think I knew what I was talking about, but I knew what I was. Talking about. Well, I also saw the Weeping Angels because my friends dressed up as the Weeping Angels and they walked up and they're like, look at our costume. And I'm like... (laughs) What are you doing? That is exactly it. I took a moment and I'm like, okay, and I was waiting for them to do something. And they didn't do anything. They just stood there like this. And I'm like, is that it? That's what I said. Is that it? Is that what you're doing? And they're like, we're the Weeping Angels. Okay. Cool. cool. <laughs> That's weird. And they're like, "Have you not watched this?" And I'm like, looking at, like, of course, I haven't watched this episode. What are you talking about? Okay. Cool. Well, we are at the end. At the end, which is unfortunate, but we're gonna do this again because you're gonna be at Dragon Con with your booth, and we're gonna come visit you at your booth. <laughs> I, I will need to get booth accoutrement, so I will need a banner. Ooh, ooh, with a picture and some covers. Mm, this will this will be interesting yes and then you'll have to bring some of your comics and some of your books for your fans who want it signed 
And I then believe I'm, I'm getting the idea, yes. Mm. Yes, and then I'm going to find somebody to dress up as some of the... I am going to find your episode so I can find somebody to dress up as some of the monsters, namely to freak you the fuck out. And I'm going to wait till it's the bar. <laughs> That's the downside of being friends with a horror writer. Because <laughs> mm. even if it's me, I'm going to wait till I know you're in the bar and I'm going to just sneak up behind you. <laughs> That's well, thank you so much for having me along. I've really appreciated it. Oh, thank oh, you for being on. You. Thank you so much. Again, tell your fans how to find you. Oh, um, paulcornell.com will find my website, and I am paul underscore cornell on Twitter. And um, if you are a podcast listener, find me at Hammer House of Podcast. Awesome. Did you send me the podcast info? Because I did like, not, I must say. You need to send that to me. And then the two okay. things that you have coming out this week is the comic book which is I Walk With Monsters oh, well, I'm so sorry I think that's right anyway. and then the book is Last Stand in Literature yeah Last Stand in Literature yeah that's that's why she's paying big bucks right there <laughs> not at all thank you for being on the podcast this has been wonderful it has been Drinking with Authors I'm Erica Lance I'm Valerie Willis and our guest has been Mom. and we'll see you next time